popular question we get asked regularly is, how do I know if my customers are happy with our relationship? There's probably no better way to identify how to build better relationships with your clients than by using our Mindset Survey tool. The Sales Mindset Survey is a free-to-use tool that is revolutionizing the sales performance industry. This survey utilizes competing questions and the user's perceptions of themselves to identify just how well they truly perform. Are you manipulative or authentic, supplier or client-centric, complacent or proactively creative, overtly arrogant or tactfully audacious? There is no right or wrong and the survey will only be helpful as you are honest. But then why did you go one step further? We also offer a 360-degree perspective that allows you to share the survey with your peers and colleagues as well as your customers to gain even deeper understanding of how you sell. Do your customers see you in the same light of how you see yourself? Becoming a better salesperson has never been an easy task, but the journey can be made much quicker and more effective with the right tools. By focusing on those problem areas, you will join the top 10% of sales performers in the industry and make your way to the winner's circle. Why did you give the Sales Mindset Survey a go today? The results may just surprise you. The link to the survey is in the show notes. Now, on to the episode. Andy, it's a huge welcome uh, to you to the Sales Transformation Podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. It's an honor. Well, it's an honor for us, Andy. And I know that um, our head of marketing, Eddie, is a great fan of yours and has been following your 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 blogs over the Month, so we're delighted that uh, that we have you here now, now in person. Um, what we tend to do uh, with the podcast is we tend to uh, start with your doing a short introduction of yourself, if that's okay, so that the listeners can get some sort of uh, picture of who Andy is. And uh, I wonder if I could ask you to just run through a little bit your background and and also the journey that you've taken to have got to this point uh, in time. Uh, with the strategic narrative? Uh, yeah, so I work with CEOs on what I call the strategic narrative, which uh, I'll define as this sort of single story uh, that we use uh, when pitching the company to uh, potential customers, investors, uh, job candidates, media, pretty much everyone. Uh and this story powers success in in sales, fundraising, marketing, uh, recruiting, kind of kind of everything. Uh, how I got started with this is a little bit of a story. So I started as a computer science major in college. I was a, a coder coming out of school, and uh, a few years after that, a friend and I had an idea for an app. And we coded a prototype. This was like dot-com years. So this was a Windows mm-hmm. app. Uh, we coded a prototype and started getting some users. And we thought, okay, maybe this could be a business. So we decided to pitch VCs. And uh, of the two of us, I spoke English fluently. So we decided I was the the, the best qualified to, to write the pitch. So uh, I wrote the pitch and we sent it to a bunch of VCs. And the reaction was really bad. And one of them wrote back, uh, Andy, listen, I, I rate every plan I get on a scale of one to 10 and yours is a one. And then in parentheses, he wrote uh, worst in case we thought maybe one was the top of his scale. Uh, no. That's pretty shocking feedback, isn't it? Pretty shocking. It was devastating. Uh, it must have been. Yeah. And 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 so devastating that I, 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 I he, he wrote this little comment. This was, this was back when you would mail it. To mail the yeah. hard copy plan to the investor. And he wrote, he sent it back and he wrote in the margin, not a compelling story. And we were so devastated. We didn't really pay much attention to this. But a few weeks later, I was walking by this Barnes and Noble uh, bookstore and there was a sign in the window and said, for anyone who wants to tell a compelling story. So that's me. Mm-hmm. And there's an arrow to these books. And I go inside and it turns out these books are about screenwriting. And I had no idea about that subject. It was not something I had any experience with. Uh, but so I read these books. And uh, aside from learning a lot about sort of how a screenplay is structured, it was an invitation to think about a pitch as, about a movie as a pitch. 
you know, mm-hmm. what is Star Wars a pitch for? It's a, a pitch for, you know, being good to people and, you know, caring about people, trusting the force in, in Star Wars language. Uh, of course, as an entrepreneur or hopeful one, I didn't have uh, two hours and I didn't have actors and, and, and special effects. So what applied to me, what didn't apply to me, were, these were very difficult questions to answer and that I've been thinking about for like the last basically 25 years. Um, but I did my best and we rewrote the plan and incorporated some of this knowledge and, and we started getting interest and we had a term sheet okay. Uh, a few months later. And I think it was not, uh, not coincidental. And, and so anyway, other CEOs started hearing about this. Eventually, uh, this be, I started a practice around helping others uh, craft a story like this. Uh, and I've been doing that uh, for about 10 years. So from 25 years ago to 10 years ago, were you still in the sort of technology, sort of coding app development kind of field. Well, Phil, you're you're asking to get into the uh my career path, which is which is which is an incredibly difficult uh oh. thing for anybody to understand, uh let alone me, <laughs> but uh I'll, I'll do I'll do the best. Is there I- a light version? <laughs> <laughs> it it's so heavy and and hard, but uh yeah, I'll give you the light version. So so I actually took a little detour for about 6 or 7 years and was a journalist. So I got this, oh, this I got okay. so interested in this uh in this story structure stuff. I started pitching articles to magazines and I started writing and I then I was a full-time journalist uh, at a magazine called Business 2.0 which was part of Time Inc. It was like a sister publication to Fortune. Uh, yeah. I eventually got the bug to kind of get back and I worked as a product manager at Skype. Uh And it was at Skype where I started to see that this training I now had as a journalist uh, had some real relevance to like the the kind of messaging of the company and and how we talked about things. And Mm -hmm. that led me to some marketing roles, uh, first at Skype and then uh, later at a company called um, uh, Mashery, which had a was an early platform for API management, so we were selling okay. APIs before anybody really, you know, knew what they were or uh, was br- willing mm. to bring them up in polite conversation. Uh, so it was uh, it was hard to, you know, how, how do you tell that story? So I started to see that a lot of this stuff was was relevant, and it was actually the CEO of Mashery, who uh, his name is Oren Michaels. Who started to make that connection with me and uh, really helped me get on the path to starting this practice? Actually, I think that I'm so glad I asked the question because I, uh, I, yes, I was trying to sort of link, you know, sort of where you've come from to what you're doing now. And and the journalist um, kind of phase that you had, I could see was quite an important part of the journey that you've been on, you know, sort of focusing on the, I guess, it, is it mainly the written? word that you are or is it also the spoken narrative i mean uh, uh, i'm not sure now where your practice takes you or or, or whether there's a link between the two well you know you bring up a really interesting question which is like in what form should we kind of capture this narrative so that we can tell it you know so that it functions across all these ways that i talked about sales of course marketing uh, product and and in some t- times it's just going to be someone talking and sometimes we might be able to show slides or have to tell mm-hmm. it in paragraphs on a website and you know the traditional answer to this question is let's write down some sort of like boilerplate thing that's internal in the company that no one outside ever sees so it's some sort of internal thing uh, often it, marketers call it like a messaging house or something where there's like fragments of messages, like here's our top message, here's our supporting messages, here, blah, blah, blah. And the idea of this thing is everybody, whether they're going to talk or write or whatever, they're going to come back to this thing and pull messages from it. And I found that that would break down in my career in, in, in two big ways. One, a lot of people didn't come back to it, especially outside of marketing where it was often kept. And the second thing was that often... Uh, even if they did, it was hard for a lot of people to take these fragments of messages and weave them into whatever 
you know, talk or, or writing they were trying to do. So I thought really hard about this and experimented a lot. And I came to the, 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 the asset that I came to that worked the best as the kind of unifying thing for the narrative was the sales deck. The sales deck, the sales pitch as the unifying thing. Like if we can write it down uh, in this sort of simple way that works in a sales goal, that is the thing that everybody can use to talk to everybody. And this is a, a controversial position. I mean, most people think of the sales deck as an output of some more fundamental, I don't know, strategic thing. And I started to say, hmm, no, the sales deck is the fundamental strategic thing. Mm. So I, I really um, uh, just enjoying the way this conversation is going. And I, I did a couple of things that, that you prompted sort of distant memories, actually, Andy. But there's uh, I remember coming across a, a program that was quite successful in the 1980s, which um, was around an organization called, I think, the Science of Selling. Um, and it was uh, really you know, starting with product and it was sort of working at product marketing and marketing communications. And it then looked at features of the product and the advantages of the product. And then it would look at the silver bullets and, you know, what were the killer aspects of this product that would uh, perhaps be sold. It involved competitive analysis, all sorts of quite, you know, it's quite a big machine to run this because you are engaging sort of product marketing and eventually you are, you come up with this sort of playbook, I suppose, you know, for sales. And uh, it was pretty impressive. It was um, in the sense that it was highly engineered. It was very process orientated. And of course, very few people got to use it properly. You know, they got, you know, it, did, it didn't get used. So the comment that you made earlier about how often these messages um sit somewhere in an organization and they're not used. I, I, I think, you know, I sort of can well, resonate with. I think that story brings up not only, it's not only a, what I find interesting about that story is it's not only a process that I find yeah. doesn't work, which is, yeah. Hey, we're going to basically, we're going to build this story in marketing and push it on sales. But also you said, like you said, you know, the starting point of this is like, what's our features and our magic bullet or something? Yeah. Our silver bullet, I think you called it. Yeah. And what I learned from the screenwriting books was to that to flip it completely on its head. And the starting point is not the product. The starting point in every strategic narrative uh, that I build with with teams is what I call the shift in the world. So, uh, you know, every movie starts with some big event. So sometimes mm. it's, you know, in 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 the, uh, you know, uh, epic movies, there's often some uh, big challenge or, or uh, something evil often sh- shows up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Darth Vader or something. Uh, but in, in, it doesn't have to be an evil. Sometimes in like a love story, it's, you know, the meet cute happens like this big event happens and it just changes the game for the main character. Mm -hmm. Like whatever they were doing before, like suddenly all these new, uh, it's like a new world now. And I started to see, uh, you know, starting with like, uh, Benioff at Salesforce and, I think you and I might be uh, old enough to remember when this was, you know, when he actually came up with this. Uh, maybe a lot of listeners sure. don't, but you know, he starts. He doesn't pitch like, "Hey, you have a problem," or you know, that 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 classic structure of "you have a problem, I have a solution, and here's why it's the best." He starts with this completely other thing, which is, "Hey, software is over." Uh, and of course, he software in the way he means it in software that we're going to own and 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 yeah. operate ourselves. And there's this new world called the cloud. This is this structure I call old game, new game. So he's 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 dis- defining the, the 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 world as a a shift from an old game of software to a new game of cloud. Uh, same thing with Zwara, which is a company I, I've written a lot about. Yeah. Uh, they say, hey. 
used to be we'd sell things to people. Now people want to subscribe to things and get the the benefits of of the assets without actually owning them. And these pitches are not starting out with like, hey, you have a problem. Here's our silver bullets. They're starting out with, hey, here's how the your world has just totally changed. And and of course, now that's going to lead into how you're going to have to adapt. Mm-hmm. That's it. I mean, in both the um, examples you've given, there's sort of, um, you know, the shift is to the sort of digital sort of cloud world. Um, but is it possible if you're not in that sort of software environment to be able to to, uh, to create a narrative around a shift? So far, every time I've worked with a team, we've been able to come up you've with one able that to feels do really okay. good. I'll give you some other examples that are that are different. Yeah. Um, so I recently worked with a team called 360 Learning. Uh, they're, yeah. I think their headquarters are officially in France, but uh, in uh, New York, but they're, I think, founded in France. And so 360 Learning tells a story about how, so th- they make training software, but their focus mm-hmm. of the training software is, is all about the company creating their, getting, getting people in the company to create their own courses and become kind of teachers. And so they talk about the shift from like top-down learning where some, you know, L&D leader decides what everyone's going to learn and like hires some outside person to create the courses mm-hmm. to what 360 Learning calls collaborative learning and where they define it as upskill from within, where we're going to mm-hmm. create where, and, and they're showing that, hey, look, all the best organizations, if you look at like uh, uh, Tesla, Google, uh, you know, they're all like sort of turning their internal people into trainers and kind of expert stars. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's the new way to win uh, this kind of upskill from within. So, th- you know, y- you can do this. It doesn't have to be about a technical shift. In fact, I think yeah. in a way it's better if it's not. And, and you know, transactions to subscriptions, yes, it's enabled by technical shifts, but it's not about a technical shift uh, on the face of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's interesting. I, it, we'll go into sort of more detail. I, I, I think the sort of um, steps of the process, perhaps you might sort of look at. But so many organisations are kind of structured around uh, product kind of silos, where the the P and L is driven by the the head of that product division. And um, and that influences so much of, of what they do from a marketing point of view and, and from a sales point of view. And I would imagine that sort of, you know, challenged, you know, with perhaps there's a, a different way, you know, to 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 go out and sell that may not be quite so product specific, but um, around a strategic narrative that, you um, yeah, it's not, not so much about feeds and speeds and, and well, all of those things. Well, I wouldn't say it's not about feeds and speeds because feeds and yeah. speeds are very, very important. Uh, or, okay. you know, of course, whatever, the, you know, your version of that is. Yeah. What I'm saying is this narrative is how we set up why these feeds and speeds matter. Okay. So, you know, the typical approach this, you know, hey, you have a problem. I have the solution. Let me tell you why it's the best solution. Uh, this is what I call the arrogant doctor. Uh, you know, you have a you have a pain. I have a treatment. Let me tell you why it's the best treatment. Um, this this is fine if the buyer totally understands sort of what's at stake here, yeah. um, which is typically like very early adopters. They kind of understand. They already know the narrative pretty much, right? Um, the where 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 I think falls or for short is where the significance of your advantage in speeds and feeds or features, whatever we want to call it, yeah, is it's not immediately obvious to everybody why that matters. And this is especially important when we're selling to large, big organizations where a lot of the people involved in the purchase are, you know, not the person who's the user. They might yeah. be a C-level person or whatever. 
and we need to arm the 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 the, the buyer team, the the actual user who's needing you know uh, uh, support within their company to do to do the purchase, need champion championing to 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 be that champion and arm them with the narrative to do that. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So so interesting. So uh, the so you're leveraging your sort of journalistic um, skills, copied. Coupled with your personal experience of pitches that haven't worked, but then have worked, um, in helping organizations create a strategic narrative, which is in the form of a sales deck, as you described earlier, which will help position the organization to sort of customers that they're selling to. Uh, Have I simplified it too much, or is that kind of roughly where we're at? Yeah, yeah, um, and I would say not just customers though, but people were recruiting, Internal. Uh, investors, okay. everybody. onboarding. Of, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Sure. So, um, in terms of the journey that you take people on, in terms of defining what that strategic narrative is, could you could you talk us through what you would typically do, and how how do you get to those, I guess, few words that that describes everything about that company that you want to communicate? Yeah. Well, the first thing, one of my biggest learnings was that uh, even though we're talking about the sales pitch as this kind of core narrative asset that we're going to build, it has to be the CEO who is leading this work. And by leading, I don't mean just like they signed off on the budget or or they're going to you know sign off on some result. Literally, they are the person who is in the room with me for hours and hours. Well, these days it's on a Zoom call uh, with me for hours and hours and hours uh, crafting this story, this pitch, refining it. Uh, of course, we also want, though, a a, a strong leadership team buy-in. So yeah. I always ask the CEO to name a small team. Of leaders, mm-hmm. typically from marketing, sales, obviously, uh, product. Uh, sometimes there's like a co-founder, or COO kind of person. Basically, have them create a small team that is going to guide the work. So it's 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 a back and forth of the CEO and I building uh, like drafts, bringing it to the team. They tell us they hate it. Usually the first time that we bring it to the team. So, so I actually do a, a kickoff session where I, I, I go through the pieces of the strategic narrative and I can go through them with you if you want. Um, yeah. We go through sort of these like five pieces roughly. And, uh, and I ask yeah, for the you, ideas. Could you of talk us these. through the, I, talk I will. Us through I will. The five. Oh, you will do. But, okay. but I, I ask the, the team for like, okay, can you give me, uh, you know, your, what do you think we should say for these different various pieces? Okay. And you can imagine we come out of this session with like boards and boards of notes and ideas. Um, and so then the CEO and I go off and we start building uh, this, you know, thing based on the fee. And, and in order to come up with something, you know, kind of, you know, short enough and powerful enough the CEO is going to basically have to throw out almost everything that the team has, has given. By the way, we also doing, I also have them do customer interviews that become inputs to this. Um, Okay. But, and, and, but the CEO is going to have to throw out even almost most of that um, and, and just pick out these big kind of nuggets. And, uh, and so when we present it to the team, there's always that first presentation. I always, always uh, warn them, uh, this is going to be the low point of our work together because the team is sort of given their gold ideas and now they're seeing it come back and there's the, the, the where's my gold idea. Um, the good news is uh, the team gets to weigh in on what's working and not working. And uh, that f- feedback loop then creates something where we, usually after about one more session of me and the CEO, about one more week of me and the CEO working on it, we can bring it back and there's, there's enough alignment mm-hmm. to, to move on. Um, you asked about the five pieces. Uh, well, I mentioned them and then you, you asked me to, yeah. to, to elaborate on them. Um, well, the first one really is this, this change in the world, this shift in the world that I talked yeah. about that old game, new game. 
uh, setup. Mm -hmm. So I literally, I just asked the team, okay, you know, I, I show them some examples, like some of the ones I, I talked about yeah, with yeah. you just earlier. And I say, hey, what is that for us? And, um, you know, there are some, there are some uh, kind of guidelines or, or principles I've learned that sort of help us get to a good one. Uh, mm. So for instance, um, it's usually good if the old game was not like on the face of it really dumb. Like, you know, transaction, mm -hmm. let's take the Zora one, you know, transactions, you weren't dumb to be doing transactions, right? That was yeah. the way that you won. That used to be the winning game. Sometimes people say things like, hey, the old game was uh, you were... You never had any data and you made bad decisions. And the new game is you're you're going to make great decisions. You know, nobody ever set out to play an old game called I don't have any data and I make bad decisions. You know, yeah. um, you know, uh, an example that's kind of like that, that that goes to a better place is is one that Gong uh, that came out of my work with Gong, which they talk about goodbye opinions. Hello, reality. You know, it used to be we kind of ran sales on on opinions. I think a lot of people will say, yeah, yeah, I, I used to do that. Uh, and then now, you know, we're going to run it based on this reality view. Um, the next piece is, OK, we, we've talked about this shift in the world. How does this creating life and death stakes for the buyer? So, again, this this draws on the movie, you know, the often the 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 main character is kind of called to action and refuses uh it's what the joseph campbell mm. the great narrative uh uh theorist called refusal of the call so you know when when in star wars when obi-wan shows up sorry if the spoilers anyone uh uh obi-wan shows up and luke he asks luke hey you know, you want to go out into space and have adventures and all this, be a pilot. And, and Luke has been bellyaching about this the whole time. Uh, what does Luke say? He actually says, you know, mm, I, I kind of got to get home. That sounds a little, you know, a little dangerous. <laughs> so what makes Luke go? Oh, it's when the Empire, you know, kills his aunt and uncle. And now it's kind of implied they're kind of coming for him or, or for his droids. And so the stakes are now life and death for him. Mm -hmm. So... Zwara, when they talk about this shift from, uh, you know, transactions to subscriptions, they're, they're not only saying, hey, that's happening. They're saying, hey, look, look what's happening. All the, the new winning companies like like Airbnb. And, you know, th this was back in 2015 when, when these this was a new story. Yeah. But Airbnb and Box.com and, and uh, Uber, th these are all subscription or subscription-like companies. You know, the person's not buying the thing. They're, they're renting it in some way. Yeah. Look at all the, you know, the losers. They're, they're all out of business. Anyone who was selling some, you know, the blockbusters, whatever. Anyway, so they're, they're showing that there's this life and death thing. And there's many ways to do that. Um, but anyway, we try to, try to see if we can uh, come up with one. Um, the next piece is what I call the buyer mission statement. So we're we're presenting this new game to the buyer, saying, "Hey, the, the world has changed." You're, you, know, you know, in the movie, it's usually very clear, very quickly, like what the main character has to do to win. So in Star Wars, yeah. within like the first fifteen minutes, we know, okay, you got to destroy this Death Star thing, uh, mm. and that's going to be it. And same in with with uh, with Zora, they say, "Hey, you're basically going to have to deliver what we call the subscription experience." And they they define this in different ways. And it's gonna you know, I don't want to get into it, but okay, that's the that's the goal state. Mm -hmm. um, and so you know, what is this goal state? So I met, I mentioned with uh, 360 Learning, we're having this shift from uh, top down learning to collaborative learning. The goal state upskill from within. So can we come up with this phrase? And, and you can imagine this phrase often does work very well, like at the top of a website or, you know, yeah. we have to sum it all up. The last two pieces then are, um, okay, so what are the, um, <clears throat> what are the obstacles to getting to mm. that goal state? Uh, you know, so again, in the movies, there's, he can't just go destroy the Death Star. There's lots of, you know, obstacles along the way. It's going to be yeah. the same thing. Obviously, if, if, if you could, if the buyer could just get to that end point easily, no need for you and your, your great product and its silver bullets. 
So what are the, th- the, the big challenges? And of course, these are challenges that, that existing solutions are not going to, to, to handle. Uh, and then, of course, the, we're, we're, we're then going to come and talk about the, the capabilities we have. Now we can talk about the mm. solar boats because it's really clear now why they matter. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, and we can talk about, you know, what we do. And, and of course, along with that, you know, proof, like uh, success yeah. stories and things like that. Yeah. So I would say that, um, that one of the skills you must have is to be able to synthesize lots of conversation and, you know, data, I suppose, uh, may not be data, but conversations into finding out against these five different stages, or perhaps it's just the first few, uh, those, those, um, those very short statements that somehow describe, uh, you know, describe what the future is going to look like. I just think that, you know, not everyone can do that kind of stuff. You know, I actually don't try to sell that ability because sometimes I get it. Sometimes it comes from someone else, um, someone someone else on the team. And one of the things I learned when I was a uh, a CEO, so I we we got the money from that company from that yeah. that pitch, and we uh, and and I I led a small startup for a while. Was how to run a me- how to run an, a meeting and and get feedback from people, which yeah, um, it was one of the most valuable things I ever learned that I, I wish I had learned in in business school. The other thing was sales uh, that I didn't learn in business school, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> But and very related, of course. Uh, yeah. But uh, I had a mentor who taught me uh, how to run a meeting, and okay. when I work with teams, one of the one of the big feedback I get is it's not so much the feedback I get is like, "Wow, Andy, you, you were you came up with such a such a great line." Uh, it was that uh, you facilitated us in a great way that helped us get to that thing. Yeah. And um, and that. I mean, I really think this, the work that I do, it's less about me being the smarty pants who comes up with, you know, the great line. And really, it's really more about um, aligning, working to align the team around something mm. that they come up with. Yeah, there's um, a couple of uh, sort of, I suppose, stories to share. But um, what I what I found quite interesting when I when I did my doctorate in sales um, was, of course, you 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 have a huge amount of research data, and um, uh, the the first couple of years of doing my research, looking at a data set, and the data was really conversations. And in those days, I used to have these uh, a wall covered it would cut out i used to cut out all of the conversations and put them on the wall and try and these are conversations with with buyers with buyers Buyers. Uh Uh yeah so so this is uh clients of ours inviting us to go and research how customers want to be sold to you know by sellers and then and then um you know recording those conversations and then and then um or videoing them as we did as well. And they would use them for kickoff meetings, you know, and stuff like that. But I was using it uh, with their permission, of course, to to actually do a more, a deeper study of what it is that customers look for in salespeople. Anyway, the, the process of going through what eventually was four years of research, I ended up with four things. <laughs> you know, four things that customers seem to want from and four things they really didn't like. And uh, and so you take out of all the complexity of all of the conversations, that process of of getting down to the essence of what you think you can hear um, it w- was something I, you know, I, I got a huge amount of enjoyment from. But at the time, you think, have I just done a four-year research <laughs> And I've come up with four things that I think salespeople <laughs> you know, could do. <laughs> it was just, well, but it was, I relate I, to this in that, uh, you know, I had been at companies where, you know, we do some sort of like six month long messaging project and yeah. we'd be doing, you know, tons of interviews and we, you know, tons of, of re- research and, and it, it, you'd get this huge, huge stack of stuff. And, you know, 
in the end, like you're, you're, it's still someone going through and sort of picking out stuff based on kind of what they think it should be. You know, of course they're yeah. getting signals and maybe being guided. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was very influenced by, so when I was at Skype, I mentioned earlier as a product manager at Skype, uh, we, they, they kind of got the agile religion. So I got really trained as an agile product manager and I really carried that over into the work that I do with, uh, strategic narrative with teams, uh, in the pro in the, the work that I do, we, we, the whole engagement is about six to eight weeks, but half of that is, you know, after about three, four weeks, we're starting to take it out into sales calls. We're not like, you know, okay. rolling it out to the whole yeah. sales team. We're starting to take it on sales calls and get a sense like, well, how is this playing? And, and of course we okay. always learn something like, oh, some, some, whatever phrase or whatever we thought was brilliant somehow fell flat or, uh, mm-hmm. or made somebody think of something we didn't want them to think of, or there was some objection we hear a lot and we realize, oh, we, we should address that up front. So we, we don't get it. Um, you know, we learn a lot, but I, I just think like getting it out there uh, and starting to learn as quickly as we can mm. is really, really important. Yeah, it sounds as though you've got a a very sort of well, well-defined process and uh, process. I'm not sure if that's the right word. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll take the word process. That's good. Is that, is like that, it. is that, okay? yeah, I'll take it. I, I hate the word process, to be honest. I'm not too much of a process person, but I've, I've grown to love it. So I started <laughs> off hating it and now I've grown to love it. The, the bigger the yeah. organization has become, but, um, um, knowing that, that we were going to have this conversation, I, I, it also prompted me to go back to one of our master's students, um, who, as a senior vice president of SAP, you know, the technology company. And uh, he works in their communications department. And he did his final dissertation on um, storytelling and communication. And, uh, and, and um, I was listening to, to his podcast. It's podcast number 39, by the way, on the Sales Transformation podcast series. And uh, one of the uh, quotes that he came up with was the challenge with communication is the illusion that it's taken place. <laughs> I just love that that quote because as you know, it's not exactly what you know. It's not looking at communication in the way that you are with strategic narrative. But I just found it quite an interesting um, kind of quote. But he also was inspired by someone that gave a talk at one of the big Gartner conferences, I think it was. I may have got this chap's surname wrong, um, but he introduced himself to the big audience and said, you guys would never have heard of me, but I'm the guy that writes all the stories for a toy story and, you know, the Pixar, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of big movies. And my job is to make people cry. <laughs> the emotion through the mm-hmm. way the story is actually told and um and so this master student a bit like you was kind of influenced by um his research into how narratives uh written that he was just looking at the written word how um sort of create emotion and i wonder whether whether that's any you know whether partly what you get to with the steps that you go through is to try and find a way of creating a narrative that customers would have some sort of emotional affinity to. And I, I said, so my question is, is that, is that correct? Is that, is that, it is, it is correct. You... And it is correct. And, and, but, but it, it, you get to a, a challenge that I came to early on. Well, there's a few things I'll, I'll address here, but one is, you know, what do we even mean by it's emotional? Like how, how do we define, like, obviously I don't think yeah. we're looking to make the buyer cry in the, no, in no, the sales no. situation. Right. Uh, so it's a different kind of emotion. So what do we even mean yeah. by that? And yeah. I think what we mean by that is what I talked about around the stakes, around the winning and losing, which is does the buyer, because when we come to most buyers, we come to, 
you know, as, as I think a lot of people, I'm guessing you or others have said this on this podcast in one of the previous episodes, the, the biggest, the biggest competition is the status quo. Mm-hmm. And what that means is in the person's head, kind of like Luke in Star Wars, when Obi-Wan first asked him, they're basically, you know, we, we say we, we want to sell to the buyer, to the pain, but actually yeah. this buyer, most of the buyers, they're not literally in pain. Like yeah, they have their ups and downs, but they're basically going to assume they're basically okay. And they're going to assume they're always going to be okay. This to me is the definition of the unemotionally engaged buyer. This is what I came to. Yeah. Um, that's Luke at the beginning of start. You know, he's, he's, yeah, yeah. he's willing. He's just going to keep going. If we can tell this story about this shift to an, like this shift in the world and we can tie it to life and death as close as we can to life and death stakes. It might, it might be life and death of your company or, you know, in, in this case, Mm -hmm. um, then, and we, and we get that buyer to see that, to, to really see that, then to feel that way, to view their future, not as kind of, Hey, it's going to be, it's going to be more of the same, but Hey, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm either going to be dead or I'm going to be like thriving. I'm going to see it in this split. That is the definition of emotionally engaged. And so that's always what we're going for. Um, the other part, you know, you mentioned that the, this first comment, you know, the challenge with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Um, I learned a lot about this from Chris Voss, you know, this uh, negotiation mm-hmm. guy. And he talks a lot about labeling uh, in your response. So, so the 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 other person in you know his case, he, this is he's the FBI hostage negotiator. So he's talking yeah. to the you know the the captor, but we can be we could just call it you know the buyer. Uh, you know the buyer is saying things, and you want to say things back to them, like, "Hey, so I you know I think what you're saying is is this," and 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 then you want to get a "That's right" from them. In the same way, when uh, and by the way, I don't know if you know um, uh, Chris Orlob uh, from Gong and uh, other places now. I do. Uh, so Chris writes a lot about this. He he recently wrote about this the, using this shift in the world that I talk about in Discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so after I present the shift in the world, and I, and I think Chris does this too, um, have the team say, "Hey." am I off base that this is showing up in your world? So we want to get them to talk about, yeah, like, wow. Um, yeah. Our, I'm at Ford, let's say, and, and Zwara is selling me uh, on this. And they're telling me about this subscription economy. I want to hear that person from Ford say, yeah, you know, our, our head of product now is talking about a subscription offering for our cars. And it's, you know, yeah. it's going to be different from leases in this way. And, 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 and it, it bring and we don't know how we're going to do it because how we're going to do, you know, we want to hear stuff like that. And this is going to give us a sense that we have gotten that emotional engagement. You know, usually I think a lot of salespeople know it intuitively. Like we see the, we see the nods, we mm-hmm. get the person talking, yeah. all those things. We don't have to see tears. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I've always been slightly concerned about the word pain because I'm not sure that, um, that necessarily that's a, a positive way to necessarily describe a purchasing, you know, the reason why someone might want to purchase something. Um, yeah. Again, but- I, I talk about it in terms of we've, <clears throat> we don't define pain or whatever in, in any kind of um, w- in without context, the context is shift in the world goal state yeah. in that new game. And then what are the obstacles to getting what to that obstacle? goal state? Those, yeah, yeah. That's how I talk about it. And yeah. and then how are we going to overcome them? Do, do you, I mean, you know, the tools are only as good as the people that are using them, right? So, you know, you've created the, crafted this amazing sort of strategic and narrative, but you've got other people now sort of using it. You know, it's a bit like giving someone a tennis racket. You know, if someone is um, Djokovic, they're probably going to use that tennis racket really well. But, you know, give it to me and you know, <laughs> I don't think I'd use it quite as well. Um, so to what extent do you find, you know, that, that the, yeah, 
the strategic narrative gets lost in translation. How about that? Yeah. Could it be lost in translation, meaning that, you know, the people using it, the salespeople or the leaders that are communicating, you know, internally, you know, with this tool deck? To what extent do you address the kind of user? Well, this uh, come this question, I think, has a bunch of aspects. You know, it's it's you know, you, one way to look at it is teams I've worked with, where I've worked with the CEO and leadership team, and then how yeah, does yeah. it get propelled into the rest of the organization? And the other is the teams I've never worked with, you know. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll start with the, the that latter first is, you know, I get emails every day from someone somewhere in the world who has used okay. that that structure that I laid out. So I wrote this post called The Greatest Sales Deck I've Ever Seen. And it, yeah. uh, it it really is a breakdown of those five is that, pieces. Is uh, that the 1.5 million downloads you got? Actually, I think that that's is... just, that might just be medium. LinkedIn has like another million or uh, so it's somewhere <laughs> around that's 3 million. Amazing. I know. I, I want our listeners to know this. This is <laughs> something that so many people have downloaded. So you've got to take a look at it. So, yeah. So every day someone tells me that they've used this thing. Okay. Uh, in, in, Sometimes I'll work with CEOs or let's have friends. I just got a call from a CEO uh, the other day. He's like, Hey, um, <clears throat> we're, we're at the stage now where I think we're ready to engage you. Uh, and I'll say like, Hey, you know, I want you to read my post to the, uh, that explains my, uh, yeah. my thing. And he said, Oh no, no, I read that a long time. We've been, we've been building our decks and everything based on that for years. <laughs> so, okay. so okay. I, I hear a lot of people using it. That's great. Um, there definitely are a few um, a few sort of common pitfalls I see people fall yeah. into sometimes when it yeah. you know, sometimes I'll say I tried it didn't work and then I'll oh, I'll ask okay. them because sometimes <laughs> I'll ask them to send it to me and I'll, I'll see sort of like what what they did yeah one thing well one common thing early on especially was they would just kind of the, the Zwara deck is available online they, they would kind of like just take the Zwara deck and put their own logo on it so they wouldn't really oh, sort okay. of, they, and they, they sort of change whatever words sort of whatever to their industry and it, the, the, I mean yeah I don't put it out there as a template like a sales deck template it's really principles I, I like to use, call it for, right. for building something um but one thing one thing that'll happen often is people they'll talk about this shift in the world and they'll say the world has changed and then they'll they'll say, "Hey, used to be," and they'll say, "Old old way," and then they'll list like five or six different qualities of the old way, and then the new yeah. way, and they'll list like five or ten different things of the new way. And I think it's really critical that we name the old and new way in the way that I've I've given you before, so that we have something to talk about. You know, um, there's a whole movement around category creation. Uh, and the way I, you know, this strategic narrative, this old game, new game, the new game, very, you could really call this a kind of category definition because, you know, whatever the solution is for this new game, that's the category. Um, but the way I like to think about it instead is, is as the movement that we're creating, we're, we're, we're championing right. a movement toward this new game. You know, it's category, it's like, okay, does Gartner recognize your category? I don't know. And 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 a lot of companies, mm -hmm. even like Salesforce, like they they were a CRM, they didn't create that category, but they created this movement to the cloud. Um, and yeah. so I, I think you can do a you, you can have this movement be very successful without actually it being category. Sometimes it is bonus, great. Um, so anyway, naming that new game and the old game, not just saying, hey. Things have changed, uh, which I, yeah. I started to see a lot. Um, you also asked, then, then the other half of that question was when I work with a team, you know, I work with the CEO and these leaders, like I talked about, how does it spread? And that's one reason I really, I picked the sales deck is because, you know, especially the teams I work with are all enterprise sales, you know, companies with, with big sales teams and, you know, this, I think, is the primary channel that everybody's going to be talking through. So that's a big mm. reason I, I chose it, because uh, if, if if it's just marketing that's building some story and telling it at conferences and sales is building their own thing, it's never going to go that way. But I think mm -hmm. it's much more uh, likely that if we're telling this story in sales and it's working, marketing can then say, OK, I'm going to tell that story everywhere. 
uh, and that has seemed to work. Some CEOs actually do certifications. This is a big Benioff thing. Uh, he's, I think, mm. he, I think everybody at the company, not even just people in sales, has to be able to present the sales deck. Uh, and, right. and I've seen a team I, I just, I just worked with recently. Uh, this team is in Ireland, uh, that mm-hmm. uh, big company, but they're, they're doing that same thing with the new narrative. Yeah. Uh, what, what I find, um, uh, encouraging also about what you've just said is, is the fact that you sort of focus at the sales side of things and, and then maybe marketing plays a role after that. Does it or? Oh yeah, and I think know, marketing, do... well, always as I said, like the marketing leader is is usually a very crucial person in okay. crafting this story. So in we're crafting, not crafting yeah. this sales deck, you know, apart from marketing. Yeah. Um, so marketing is playing a role in that, but uh, but yes, once it's once it's baked, now marketing can start telling that story everywhere, and and probably maybe has the bigger role in in disseminating it. Yeah. So interesting. Um, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's fantastic. So is there anything that we haven't, you know, sort of shared or talked about, Andy, that you feel like or any question I haven't asked you that you think will be a good question to ask you to kind of um, articulate even more? I mean, you've done a very good job so far, but is there anything I've missed? Um, not that I can think of. Um <laughs> Do you want to ask why? Well, some people ask why I have my mother on my podcast uh, when I Your... interview CEOs. Uh, so I have my own podcast. It's called okay. Bigger Narrative. Uh, okay. Would you like to hear about my mother and why she yes, please. the yeah, my, uh, episodes? Love... <laughs> what your mother actually does the introduction. She <laughs> does. So what happens is uh, I, I uh, interview the CEO that I've worked with. So for instance, I mentioned uh, Nick Hernandez uh, from 360 Learning. I, I interview him. Uh, about our work together, and he talks about this upskill with and all the the, na- the new narrative we got to, and and all okay. the, the work. And then I send the conversation. I edit the conversation. I send it to my mother. Uh, okay. She listens to it, and then I call her and ask her to to just tell me what what she thinks people are going to get out of it, like what what she got out of oh, it or whatever. Okay. And yeah. then that conversation becomes the intro to the episode. Uh, and. Oh. I found that it was a good way for people to get into it because she she'll just sort of you know, summarize it in a way that I you know I would I might make it sound you know uh, you know highfalutin. <laughs> she brings it down to earth. <laughs> she very much gets down to earth. That's interesting. I'm just wondering whether your mother would like to do the introduction to to um, to this podcast. Do you think she, she would is, be interested? I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, powder too much. Ben. She's she's uh, a minor celebrity on LinkedIn. I would say uh, is she? a little bit of a Thank following. God. So she might. There might be other. It might be a waiting list. But uh, oh, she, okay. She uh, she very well could be available. Oh golly! Well, I'll, I'll let Eddie uh, uh, cross that reach out. Uh, that okay. bridge. Okay. Yeah, or to reach out. How how fun. Yeah, so uh, that is amazing. How nice you involve your mother in it as well. I think that gives a very sort of personal human touch. It's really nice. All. I mean, um, really nice, my folks yeah. are definitely getting up there in, in years and, and to have them right. sort of connected to my work in that way is I really, know. really fun. Yeah, that's um, fantastic. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Love it. What a great idea. Brilliant. Well, Andy, thanks so much, you know, for taking part in our Sales Transformation podcast. Um I know that Eddie is going to provide details to your, you know, website and links and things like that, but I found it really, really interesting. Yeah, me too. Thanks. It was a great, I I really enjoyed talking with you. 